Better? There we go. It always works better when it's on. So, if you would, please turn with me to the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. That is where we will spend our time today. Not the whole chapter, but just part of that chapter. Um, It's nice to have preached through the Advent. That's the first time I've ever preached through the Advent, and that was nice, and to do a Christmas Eve service, and uh, what a, a blessing that was to me, and to see everybody here and smiling, and welcome home, Lynn, from Crazyville. So, you know, um, and so let's go ahead and, and let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll attack this passage. Father, we just thank you that we can come together as your people, as your chosen, Father, as your bride, that you have sovereignly chosen before the foundations of this earth. Father, how good that is to know how our hearts should rejoice in this truth. So, Father, I pray now that as we open your word and as we look at your inspired, your infallible, your powerful, your almighty word, that it would move our hearts to be obedient to you. Father, please open our ears that we would hear, open our eyes that we would see, and Father, open our hearts that we would receive your word with much joy. Convict us today, Father, where we need to be convicted. Comfort us where we need to be comforted and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. For your namesake, Lord, we ask all these things. Amen. Okay. So, imitation. Can anybody finish the sentence? Is the sincerest form of flattery. So there are people out there that we admire that we want to be like, maybe it's a a favorite preacher, maybe it's a favorite singer, maybe it's a favorite designer, maybe it's a favorite photographer, but there are people out there and things that we see that we want to imitate. And this is what Paul is going to get us into in this chapter, is we're going to see where we are to be imitators. We're to be imitators of God is what we're to be. And this is what we've seen in chapters 4 and 5. As we went through the first three chapters, we, 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 we saw where, where Paul had give us all these great things of who we are in Christ. And now he says, therefore, in chapter 4, since all these things are in, that we are in Christ and God has done for us, we then are to live this way. We are to live in a manner worthy of the calling of which we have been called. God is after our sanctification. He's after our holiness. He's after our purity. This is what God is after. And so Paul gives us these next two chapters, and he discusses what that looks like. So look with me as we look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 7. The apostle writes, Therefore, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So what Paul is wanting us to do now is to imitate God. So this word imitate, it's an interesting word. It's a, it, it's a command, first of all. It's a, it's a command in that first verse, you know, be imitators. It's not a suggestion. This is what we are to be. We're to be imitators. It's a command. It's uh, to follow. It's actually the word where we get our word mimic from. That's the Greek word is where we get our word mimic from. We're to mimic God. We're to be little Jesuses as we walk around. This is what that conforming to the image of Christ looks like, is we're to be imitators of God. So how are we to be these imitators as beloved children? First of all, we're to be godly in our walk. We're to be godly in our walk. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We see that Paul's walk was an imitation of Christ. Paul was a godly apostle. It doesn't mean he didn't sin, because obviously he sinned because he was human, but he was a godly man, and he imitated Christ in what he did. So what does this imitating look like? Well, it's a godly life. It's us doing and not just saying. It's walking in holiness. It's walking in purity. It's walking contrary to the world. We saw that with Jesus. Jesus shook up Jerusalem when he came because of his walk. This is what he did. He shook it all up. As we look back at chapter 4, it's living in a worthy manner of our calling. It's being humble, gentle, patient. It's bearing with each other in love. It's speaking the truth to one another. It's being angry and not sinning, not stealing, not having a bad mouth, being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving each other. This is what imitating God looks like. It's being holy. Moses tells us in Leviticus 11.44, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, but be holy, for I am holy. Peter agrees with him in 1 Peter 1.14-16. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In what we say, in what we do, in what we think, we're to be holy in all of our conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God wants a holy people. We're to be imitators of God. Paul tells us that this imitation is walking in love. Look at verse 2. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is a sacrificial walk. It's a sacrificial love that we're to walk in. Because we've seen this word love before, right? This is our agape love. This is a love that is, it's not driven by attraction or emotion, but it's driven by a choice, right? God's loving us is not because we were attractive. No, he chose to love us. He committed to us. He's devoted to us. This is that agape love, and this is what Paul says, that a godly imitating walk is a walk in that kind of love. It's a walk in that kind of love, this sacrificial love. It's the love that we see in, in uh, the sacrificial love we see in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us. He puts his love on display while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And if you ever get confused with what this love looks like, all you got to do is look to Christ. Get into the Gospels. See how Christ loved. That's how we are to love. He is the ultimate example of this love. Also, when we walk in this, this love, it's a forgiving love. It's a forgiving love. Forgiveness is a difficult thing, as I've said before, when we actually have to do it. It's a difficult thing. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How has God forgiven you? Fully and completely. How are we to forgive each other? Fully and completely. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Again in Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And in Colossians 3.13, the apostle writes, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. We forgive because we've been forgiven. That's why we forgive. That's what he's saying. If you don't forgive, if you're not a forgiving person, you have not experienced God's forgiveness. Period. Believers in Jesus Christ forgive. And there's not anything in the Bible that says that any offense against us that we don't forgive. So this forgiveness looks like this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting. But what it is, is it's not bringing the offense up again. Forgiveness is not holding an offense over someone's head. And forgiveness does never does not ever, ever keep a list of wrongs done. And we can be list writers, can't we? Oh, I remember back then when you did this to me. I remember when you did that to me. We can be rememberers. That's why, that's why forgiveness is not forgetting because we don't forget. We remember hurts that were done to us. But when we walk in love, we don't keep the list. We don't bring the list up. Our second point that the, that the apostle brings us to is our godliness in our sexuality. 
our godliness and our sexuality. Look at Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality in all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. So we have to remember one thing. This letter is written to the Ephesians. They are in Ephesus. There was a fertility goddess in Ephesus named Diana that they worshipped. There was temple prostitutes. Sexual immorality was a part of their everyday life. It was rampant. It was all around. And even today, we see it here. We see this sexual immorality here. And, we, and the sad thing is, is we see it in the church. We see it in the church. And that's the sad thing because what Paul sits here and he says in this is he says, th- th- this is what it actually says in the original Greek, let it not once be named among you. It shouldn't even be a hint in the church. It shouldn't even be a hint in your individual life. Sexual immorality should not be a, uh, a, a glimmer in our lives. That is what God is saying. And this word sexual immorality, it means that the word is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. That's where we get the word. It's impurity, it's uncleanness, it's lewdness. It's impurity of motives. It's any type of sexual sin is what Paul is saying. That it's not even to be once named among you. And this word covetous, when he talks about covetousness, but sexual immorality and all impurity, or covetousness, this covetousness is, is a power over another or a desire of riches. When we, when we entertain ourselves in sexual immorality, it can be very covetousness. It could be what we want, what we desire more than God. But this is not only a desire to, to desire these riches. I think in this context, what this word covetousness could mean is a strong desire for someone's body. A strong desire for someone's body. That that person's body becomes covetous. It becomes greedy. It's what you want. It's what you have to have. So sexual immorality, where do we see it or find it? Or how do we guard against it? What do we do with our heads? We have to guard with what we watched. We have to be careful what's on the boob tube, what's on the idiot box. We have to be careful the movies we watch, the entertainment we see. We have to guard our minds. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard the shows that we, that, that we view because there can be very sensual stuff in there. We can't be people who have um, levels of things. Well, I can watch this, but I can't watch this. Well, really what this is is exactly this. We can't compromise our purity. We got to guard our minds on what we watch. We got to guard what we read. Ladies, I don't know too many men, so that's why I'm going to say ladies. Romance novels. We have to be careful that we don't let the romance novels take us to a place that we should not go. Men, 
magazines that we pick up. Magazines that we pick up. There's certain magazines that come to the barbershop that Scotty and I, we just throw away because we know what's in them. And we throw them away. We have to guard ourselves with what we read, what we listen to, the music we listen to, podcasts we listen to. All of this is very simple, sensual audio books that we listen to that can bring sexual immorality in. We have to be careful. We have to guard what we view on the internet. We have to guard that. Gentlemen, if you struggle with the internet and where you go on the internet, put it in the front room. Change the password that your wife is the only one that knows what it is. Guard yourself, not even to name once among you. This is the purity that God wants us to imitate in our sexuality. It's not sleeping together before we're married. It's guarding our hearts with the opposite sex, whether married or not. How many men in the pulpit have failed because of adultery? Because they don't guard their hearts. Keep this in mind. Jesus, he goes right to the heart of everything. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's that glare, it's that glance that stays there. Jesus goes to the simplest thing and he says, just that glare, just that just that sense, just that, whoa, you just committed adultery in your heart. That's how little this is. Brothers and sisters, we must protect ourselves. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that we're to flee from sexual immorality. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. We are to flee sexual immorality. This word fleeing, it's brilliant. Do you know what it means in the Greek? It means to flee. Pretty simple. To flee, to run away, take flight, escape. It's if I put on a, <coughs> a triple extra large shirt and I left it unbuttoned and I start to run, what's that shirt going to do? It's going to start to flop, right? And it's going to be back here. But the minute I stop, what's that shirt going to do? It's going to catch me right? That's the image that Paul has given you. You have to keep running because the minute you stop, guess what? It catches you. We have to keep running. We have to keep our eyes on Christ and the cross. That's what keeps us running. That's the motivation we have. Paul says that this is part of our, our sanctification for this is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. Listen, if you ever want to know what the will of God is for your life, here it is. Pretty simple. 
for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your purity, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions or lusts like the Gentiles who do not know God. We need to have the same thought that Joseph had with Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. He says, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, Potiphar, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was a good-looking dude, a lot like me. So, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. Listen, just listen to that wording. Cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. Listen, here's what we got to have right here. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That is how we have to view our sexual immorality, is how can we do such this great wickedness and sin against God? The next time you think that you think that you can watch a movie that has sexual immorality in it, or that you can, you can go to the internet and look at something, think of this one thing. Is it worth the cross? Is it worth the nails in the hand, the nails in the feet, the wrath of God being poured out? Not once should it be named among us. We have to keep our hearts vigilant in this area. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Brothers and sisters, we must be godly in our walk, in our sexuality. We must be godly in our speech. Ephesians 5.4 Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. We should be thankful people, always giving thanks for all things because God has given us all things. This filthiness, obscenity, indecency, crude joking, it's a buffoonery or coarse laughter, coarse jesting. Any attempts to get laughs by crossing the line into areas that we should not go. We should have no racist jokes come from us because this is out of place for a believer. No racial jokes. No telling someone they are number one with the wrong finger. Not being a fool. Think before you talk. Be quiet. All you have to do is read Proverbs and you understand one thing. I need to be quiet. Because this thing is brutal, it is violent, and it is a massive weapon. It's not making fun of other people at their expense. We're to have mouths that edify God, that are seasoned with good seasoning. Listen to what Jesus says again in Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You really want to see somebody's heart? Just let them talk. 
Just let him talk because out of their abundance of their heart, their mouth will speak. Proverbs tells us this. This isn't on the board, Angela. You don't have these. But listen to what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 10, 6. Blessing are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 10, 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. And Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. God, God is opposed to lying lips, our, 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 our lips to speak truth. There are six things that the Lord hates, Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers, right? Seven things God hates. Two of them are a liar. Lying lips, one who bears false witness. Two of them. Brothers and sisters, we're to have none of this talk. No obscenities, no indecencies, no crude joking. And no coarse jesting are to come out of our mouths. But we are to be those who have gracious words. Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Fourthly. Okay, I gotta look at the time. Fourthly the godless company in their end. Godless company in their end. Look at Ephesians 5, 5, and 6. This is what Paul says, for you may be sure of this. This is a confidence that Paul is talking about. He is confident of this very thing, right? He says the same thing in Philippians where he says that I am confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will finish that work. He says the same thing here. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We must understand that as Christians, we won't reach perfection here. We won't reach perfection. But this is not to be habitual of our life. This is not to be a practice of our life. Idolatry is not to be a practice of us. You want to know why we have idolatry? We have idolatry because we fail to have abundance. When we have abundance... You see, when we have abundance of joy, when we are in Christ and we are abundantly loving him and he's abundantly filling us and we are filled with him, we desire nothing, right? But more of him. It's when we lose that joy. It's when we don't see that he's abundant. It's when we don't see that he is all sufficient for everything that we turn to our idols and we run to them. Paul says, no, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. He tells us that as an unbeliever that this is their very nature. 
This is their very nature in Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what he's saying. The sexually immoral, the impure, the covetous, the idolater, by nature, they are children of wrath. They need a new heart. They need God to open their eyes to see this. Paul gives this truth in another, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. He says the same thing, 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know? Forgive me. Or do you not know? <coughs> that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's going to their minds. He's engaging their minds. Do you not know? Pretty much saying, you should know. But do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He is very clear in this area. Very clear in this area. Ephesians 5, 6. This is what he says here. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We have to be careful as believers, brothers and sisters, that if we know somebody that's in this lifestyle, we can't be deceived in believing that they're really a believer. This is what he's saying. Don't be deceived. Because someone says they're a believer, but yet they live in this lifestyle habitually and continually with no shame and no repentance. We have to question whether there is true conversion or not. We have to do that. We can't be deceived in believing that somebody is truly converted, but they're really not. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to fall into this one day, that we're not going to that, that we're not gonna, uh, have idols, because we all do. But it's how you respond to it afterwards. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I love this verse because it doesn't say this. Good company corrects bad people. It says bad company ruins good morals. This is what it says. Do not partake, brothers and sisters. We are not to be partakers. In verse 7, do not partake with them. We don't come into this. We are not co-joint uh, uh, um, participants with them. Now, this doesn't mean we can't have friends that are unbelievers. Of course, we need to have friends that are unbelievers because we need people to share the gospel with. But we are not to come into their lifestyle. We are not to participate in their deeds of darkness that we'll see next week. But we are to keep ourselves from them. We're to have distance between them. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this is a famous marriage passage, 
but I believe what this is talking about is our intimate relationships with each other. Who are we intimate with? Who knows the deepest desires of our heart? Who do we share things with? He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer to all that is none. We have nothing in common. The unbeliever will never understand your spiritual struggle. They will never understand your battle with sin because they don't battle. They don't struggle. This is why we have to be careful with who we are intimately yoked with. You want an ox and an ox. You don't want an ox and a goat because you're going to get pulled this way. So we want to be equally equally yoked with someone who loves the Lord, who loves the Lord. So to close, brothers and sisters, we must be sure that we get the gospel right. We must be sure we get the gospel right. Because if we get the gospel wrong, then all these commands that we just went through, they simply become obedience out of duty and they become legalism. We begin to do things to be accepted by Jesus instead of doing these things and keeping ourselves from these things because Christ has already accepted us. We have to get the gospel right. If we don't get the gospel right, we don't get the book of Ephesians right. That's why God starts off the way that he says, and he says that you are chosen. We have to get the gospel right. Or it just becomes legalism. And then we have lost the purity of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we're going to mess up. We are. We're going to mess up in this life. And we're going to mess up badly sometimes. We will sin. We will look at something we shouldn't. We will have thoughts that are not pure. We will say something that we are not supposed to say. But God in his grace has sent Christ to live the perfect life that you and I cannot live. He died the perfect death that you and I could not die. And he rose from the grave victorious so that we will not be held by the grave. Christ has died for us. He has forgiven us. Then, when we fall, you and I must be quick to repent. And we must hold tightly to his love and his grace and his mercy. Brothers and sisters, be imitators of God. Walk in love. Don't let these things once be known among you, and don't be partakers of those who do these things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, may it bring conviction to our hearts. Father, what I pray for Faith Bible Church, I pray for us, Lord. I think of everybody here. 
There's a sensitivity, Father, to your spirit. Lord, don't let our consciences be seared by what this world says is okay. But Father, keep us sensitive. Keep our hearts sensitive to your spirit's leading. Lord, give us massive conviction where we need it. And Father, help us to see your grace poured out in our lives when we do sin. Help us to run to Christ. In all these things, Father, to thank you. Bless this little body, Lord. Bless us with much of Christ. Give us an abundance of Christ. Give us much joy in Christ that we would run to nothing else, Father, but that we would find all of our pleasure and all of our joy and all of our 